0: It is interesting that he would also say later on that I am the least of all the saints. There in the Book of Ephesians, chapter three, verse eight. He would also write in the New Testament that, matter of fact, I'm the chief, chiefest of sinners. And I don't think that Paul was saying that because he had some deep, dark, you know, sin that he was practicing or involved in in his life that nobody knew about. I believe what Paul is saying is this that the more that he walked with the Lord, the more that he realized his need for God's grace.
1: Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff.
0: 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as we know that Paul the Apostle writing to the Corinthian church here, and we do read as he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In chapter 15, we read, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles, Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached, And so you believe. Now, those of you who have read the book of Acts, you might recall that in chapter 17 of the book of Acts, Paul is on his second missionary journey, and he comes into the city of Athens. And the city of Athens, of course, 2,000 years ago, was a very sophisticated city. Um, It was where all the philosophers were. It was the city of philosophy and of uh, kind of the, the headquarters of Greek culture And it was the philosophers that would be gathered at this place uh, called Mars Hill at at the Areopagus. And it would be the philosophers that would hang out there all day long. And they would say and think of philosophy. They would uh, give it to one another. They would discuss it. uh, How they said it was even very important, their oratory skills. And so Paul, as he came into that city, of course, wanting to make a difference with the gospel of Jesus Christ, he would go to the Areopagus and he would address those philosophers and he would proclaim to them. And up there, as you read chapter 17 of Acts, there was all these idols that the Greeks would worship and then there was one that was dedicated to the unknown God. And so... The apostle says, I'd like to proclaim to you the truth about the unknown God. That is, he is the true God of the universe. And one day, he's going to, to judge the world in righteousness. And it is through Christ, or through the man, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So Paul mentioned the resurrection And it was the response of those Greek philosophers that would mock him. Most of them would mock him when they heard him speak of the resurrection of the dead, while others said, hey, we'll we'll hear you again on this matter. So in the Greek culture, they really, for the most part, didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And they didn't believe that there was going to be a judgment day. Now, it wasn't just in the Greek culture, but you can even go back to the house of Israel In Jesus' day, in Paul's day, there was the religious leaders of the Sadducees. The Sadducees were part of that sect of religious leaders that would make up part of the religious elite or uh, the Sanhedrin Council of Israel. And the Sadducees were different than the Pharisees. And, of course, as most of you know, you read about the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming against Jesus in his ministry. But after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it was really the Sadducees that became the main enemies of the Christians after the resurrection because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. So when they started hearing news and reports about Jesus being seen, rising from the grave, coming forth from the tomb, they really would come against the Christians because they did not believe that there is a resurrection. We also know that what was taking place in the early church is that there were those in the early church that had insisted that the resurrection had already taken place we see that when paul addresses the church at thessalonica and there are also those in corinth in the corinthian church that did not even believe in the resurrection we get that from verse 12 as we're going to read in verse 12 this morning that paul asked them how do some of you say that there is no resurrection And so as we opened up chapter 15 last week and we looked at the first four verses of the chapter, we saw that the Apostle Paul began to address the believers there in Corinth about the whole issue of the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ and how there is a resurrection for you and I who believe in Jesus Christ. And in these 58 verses of this chapter, it's the longest chapter in this epistle, Paul's going to give the most extensive discussion of the resurrection concerning the resurrection that we have in all of the scripture and in talking about the resurrection paul takes again the first nineteen verses and begins to talk about Christ's resurrection. Because we're going to read that he will tell us that if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then your faith is in vain. It's futile. You're still in your sins. And so as we saw last time, again, we looked at the first four verses of 1 Corinthians 15. We saw that Paul would give the gospel. He would give the good news. He says, the gospel which I have given to you, that you can hold fast to that word which I preach to you, and it's this, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, verse 3. He was buried, rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, verse 4. This is the gospel. So when people say, what is a simple definition of the gospel, here it is first corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 and 4 so paul says this is the gospel keep it in mind embrace it in your heart believe in him who died for your sins who was put into a grave and rose again on the third day and so we know that as he's referring to just as the scriptures declared that would happen that he was talking about references of the old testament because the new testament of course, had not been written at this time. Paul, as he's writing this letter, is writing part of the New Testament. So when he says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures... Just as we discussed last week, he's making references to such passages of the Old Testament, such as Psalm 22. And then Isaiah 53, which talks about the crucifixion in incredible detail, talking about the the crucifixion prophetically, the the death of Jesus Christ and the sufferings that he went through for you and for me. He's making references to Psalm 16 as it speaks about the resurrection, that I will not leave your Holy One in corruption. And so we talked about this. the old testament scriptures spoke about pointed to the death and resurrection of jesus christ and so as we continue on paul is now going to talk about those who were witnesses to the resurrection of jesus christ in other words he's going to give us evidence for the resurrected lord jesus so he was one that died for our sins And was according to the scriptures, verse 3, he was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And now verse 5, we read, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. So every one of us who is a Christian knows that, that the fundamental question upon which Christianity ultimately rests is this, that Jesus Christ actually, literally, physically rise from the dead. Everything hangs on that question. And in this section of scripture, Paul says that there were many eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. The first apostle that he appeared to was Cephas, or that is Peter. Now, we don't know the exact time that he appeared to Peter, sometime between Jesus' appearance to Mary there at the garden tomb and the two disciples on the road to Emmaus that we read about there in Luke chapter 24. So he appeared to Cephas, and then he appeared to the twelve, a reference to the remaining apostles, and he would also then appear to 500 people at once some of them paul says have died but most of them are still alive he says you go ask them go check it out they're all witnesses of the resurrection that indeed he rose from the dead now we know that there have always been those skeptics that have come along in church history for the last two thousand years that have tried to disprove um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to say that it's a hoax and, and a myth. There are even those that today are in Jerusalem digging around trying to find the body of Jesus. Now think about it. What a waste of time. What a waste of energy and time of life trying to find the body of Jesus Christ because it's not there. And so there have always been those that come along trying to find the body of Jesus, trying to come up with all their, their theories and, and you know, what really happened. And there is one theory that some have held to, and that is because the apostles had given up everything to follow after Jesus, They walked with him for over three years. They were hoping he would bring in and usher in the kingdom of God. That in their deep grief after his death and their distraught and despair, so desperate to see Jesus, that they hallucinated is what they did. Well, Paul the apostle puts that ridiculous theory to rest. Because here he says 500 people saw him at once. and, And 500 people do not hallucinate at once, you see. And so, if somebody was to come into this sanctuary, let's say, and let's say they came up here, they didn't have a disguise on, they, they you know, didn't have a mask on, and they took out a gun and they held me up and they took my wallet, we'll discover that there's no money in my wallet, and they walked out and they left the building. We called the police. And they ended up, Greeley PD, picking them up, walking down the street. Over time, there's a trial that takes place. And all of you guys that are witnesses and saw this were subpoenaed. And you gave a testimony as there is the defendant that's there, and and the prosecutor will ask, is that the man that robbed Pastor Jeff on this day at this time? Yes, it is, all of you would say. Now, just with the amount of people that are here in this sanctuary, wouldn't that be overwhelming evidence against that individual? So what Paul is giving us here in these four verses that we read is overwhelming evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. The 12 saw him, Luke chapter 24, that Jesus showed them his hands and his feet. 500 people saw him at once. He was seen by James as well. That would be the brother of Jesus, who in the Gospels thought that Jesus was crazy. He didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. He had no clue, James the half-brother of Jesus, until he saw the resurrected Jesus. And then he was convinced, and he became a leader in the early church. James, when he saw the resurrected Jesus, it changed his life radically. And he followed after Jesus wholeheartedly. And then Paul says, I, I saw him too, not in the that's the same time as the others did. Now, Paul saw Jesus not only after immediately his resurrection and his ascension but he saw him after his ascension. In other words, this makes Paul's testimony pretty unique here. Because it was not during that forty day period immediately after his resurrection that Jesus as he was appearing to others and then he would ascend up into heaven. But Paul saw him several years later, when at that time Paul was a violent, hateful unbeliever that was persecuting the Christians very heavily according to the book of Acts. We know that he was known as Saul at that time. He was part of the religious elite there in Israel. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And on his way to Damascus, according to Acts chapter 9, the Lord manifested himself to Paul while he was there going to Damascus to persecute more Christians and reveal himself to the Lord. And so there were many witnesses. They saw the resurrected Jesus showing himself alive, as the Scripture says, by many infallible proofs. Paul saying, I saw him on that road to Damascus. I met the resurrected Jesus. And in verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So as as Paul, I imagine, as he's thinking about, I saw the Lord on the road to Damascus. It was a time when I was persecuting the church of God. Paul's bearing his heart here. Really, the, the grief that he would carry in his heart because he was a persecutor of the church before he was converted. Paul says, I was a waster of the church in one section of the New Testament. It would be Paul again, as I mentioned to you, known as Saul at that time. He voted for the stoning of Stephen there in Acts chapter eight, verse one. And in Acts chapter seven, we know Stephen giving that wonderful testimony as they arrested Stephen, one of the first deacons ordained in the church, Acts chapter six. They arrested Stephen, and he gives this incredible testimony and, and witness there before the religious council. And so they condemned him to death the first Christian martyr that we have recorded in the New Testament. And Paul would vote and give the consent for that stoning. And it even says that he held the coats for the men who were doing the stoning against Stephen. So here was Paul at one time breathing out threats, murdering Christians, having them arrested, put into prison. And it would trouble him later and when he, after he became a believer in Christ Jesus. And he says here that I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. It is interesting that he would also say later on that I am the least of all the saints. There in the Book of Ephesians, chapter three, verse eight. He would also write in the New Testament that, matter of fact, I'm the chief, chiefest of sinners. And I don't think that Paul was saying that because he had some deep, dark, you know, sin that he was practicing or involved in in his life that nobody knew about. I believe what Paul is saying is this. That the more that he walked with the Lord, the more that he realized his needs for God's grace. And how beautiful and how holy and how righteous the Lord is. And then how far short I fall of God's glory. And it just works itself out in this beautiful humility that he displays in First in Corinthians chapter 15. He says, I, I, I am the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. He goes on in verse 10 and says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, Paul knew that he wasn't called to be an apostle because of his own merit. He says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. Matter of fact, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I'm the least of the saints. It's only by the grace of God given freely that I am what I am. I think about my life and what Paul is saying here, and I say amen to what he's writing here, truth here is what he is proclaiming to us, because I know that I am not worthy of what God has done in my life. I know that I am not worthy to do what he has called me to do, and God forbid if I ever get to that point, oh God, you know, I am so worthy of being a pastor and you're so lucky and you know I really deserve this ministry, merit it. All that is is pride. I don't deserve it. I haven't merited. It. It's by the grace of God that I am what I am. And you as well. Thank God for his grace this morning. He goes on and says, And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Now notice the place of grace in Paul's life, but also the place of his labor for the Lord as well. Now we need to remember that as Christians, you don't work so that you can gain a righteous standing before God. Romans is very clear about that. That no works of the law will bring you justification. It is faith in Jesus Christ alone. And also Romans goes on to say that all of our works are as filthy rags before God. In other words, if you're going to bring your works and say, Lord, here I am, here are my works, and it is merited salvation, then you don't understand the grace of God. Then you don't understand the gospel message. And so it is when I receive the grace of God that while God proved his love for me, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And as I become a recipient of his grace, for by grace through faith you have been saved, it's not of yourselves, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. And when I receive his unmerited favor, then response to that grace is my desire to do for God whatever I can. And living in the grace of God, as you know that I have said, doesn't mean that we go out and live any way that we want. It means that, Lord, I am, so, I am so amazed at your incredible grace that you have given to me, that I am free to live for you and to serve you, and to serve you gladly, and to serve you consistently, and to serve you freely, and to serve you faithfully. But I don't do it to earn my salvation. I don't do it to earn a righteous standing before you. But I do it to show my love and appreciation to you for the grace that I have received. And then I get to go out and I, need to, I get to do those works that please you, Lord. And sometimes as Christians, if we're not careful, we can get into the mindset of, if I do this or if I do that for God, then he'll respond to me. He'll love me more. I'll earn his love. I'll earn his grace. He'll bless me more. And I understand that there's blessing in walking with the Lord. I understand there's blessing for living for the Lord. You know that. But here's the thing. When we really begin to understand grace, God's unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor, his love, his goodness, his faithfulness, that his desire that he wants to use us in our lives, to please him, to use us in ministry, then we respond out of a heart of love. And great is the day when a Christian realizes that, God, you use me in spite of me. I don't deserve this ministry, but you have been so good to me and have blessed me and you've blessed my family. And you can't help it. You're just at awe at his love and goodness and faithfulness. You can't help but respond out of love and just saying, Lord, I want to do the work of the Lord for you. You see, when that finally sinks in, And that is by one man, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, who was buried and rose again according to the scriptures. By Jesus came righteousness, justification, and grace. Then I'm going to stop striving to prove that I am a notch or two above you. Or I'm going to be critical because you're a notch or two below me. And when I begin to understand this incredible grace that Paul's talking about that he had been a recipient of that I start becoming a worshiper because the Lord, the one thing that I do deserve and that is hell to be separated from you. I did a good job in deserving that because I sinned and it is your son who came and died for me that I might have forgiveness of sin that I might come in faith and then have that righteous standing before the Father through Jesus Christ alone. But if I find myself trying to earn blessing by intensive prayer and Bible study and long fast, I'm not saying those things are bad, but this is what can happen. My Christian life and experience and walk will always be one of analyzing and scrutinizing and criticizing and all of this. And I end up condemning myself and others, so grace is not dependent upon my deep knowledge of, you know, the scriptures, 24-hour prayer chain, all those things, but it is dependent upon one thing, and that is the goodness and love of God. And you know what will happen? When we understand that and get it down into our hearts, and I'll tell you the truth on this, this is what will happen. You'll pray more, and you'll serve more, and you'll read your Bible more, And you'll enjoy the Lord more. Listen, don't forget this, that the works that I do are in response to what God has done for me. Listen, the works that I do are in response to what God has done for me. And Paul, being a recipient of God's grace, his response to that grace, he says, I labor more abundantly than all the rest of the apostles. And it was Jesus that said, didn't he, that he who's forgiven much loves much. It's a response out of love that Paul had this incredible, increasing love for God that says, oh, it's a love of Christ that constrains me and motivates me. And it's the same with you and with me because of the wonderful grace that we have received. And so verse 12, as we continue, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. So Paul was taking time to prove the resurrection of Jesus. Hey, Ask the witnesses that saw the resurrected Lord. Here's a record of those witnesses, which doesn't include marrying the other women that saw him.
1: Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Picture.